You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello, thank you for tuning into The Pregnancy Podcast. You can find the full article and resources that accompany this episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash garden. I want to thank Zoller for their support. Right now, you can save 20% off the prenatal vitamin with DHA, plus get one month free if you want to leave a review on Amazon. This is such an amazing deal. You're going to get two months of the vitamin for such a low price. For all of the details on that, you want to go to PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash vitamin. I am a big fan of the Zoller prenatal vitamin because they use high quality ingredients like the bioactive forms of B vitamins, omega-3s like DHA, which they source from non-GMO algae, which is a much better source than getting it from fish oil. They really pay attention to the details. They use calcium from algae, which is more bioavailable and easier to digest. They use a vegetarian soft gel, which is going to eliminate the risk from animal-derived contaminants. And it also means that it reduces the carbon and water use footprint. You can see that they have put a lot of work into making a really high-quality vitamin. For more details on the prenatal and to get the promo code to save 20% and the details on how to get one month free, go to PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash vitamin. I also want to thank Blue Blocks for their support. There are so many things that you can do to reduce the amount of blue light that you're exposed to after the sun goes down. But the easiest thing you can do is put on blue light blocking glasses. And the reason that I'm a fan of these glasses from Blue Blocks is because they block out 100% of the blue and green light between 400 to 550 nanometers. And a lot of other companies that make blue light blocking glasses do not do this. You can save 15% off with the promo code PREGNANCY. By wearing these glasses, you're going to reduce your exposure to blue light after the sun sets, which is going to help you sleep better. And your sleep and your circadian rhythms drive your hormones, which are so important during pregnancy and if you are trying to conceive. I'm a big fan of these glasses. I think it's one of the things that you can easily do to start stacking odds in your favor for better sleep and better health. And right now you can save 15% with the promo code PREGNANCY. And to check these out, you want to go to PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash glasses. And don't forget that there is a pregnancy podcast app. It's available in the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You can download that app, get access to all of the same episodes that you have in any podcast app. And there's a really cool search function that makes it really easy to search by a keyword if you're looking for an episode on a specific topic. In this episode, we are talking about the safety of gardening. And I want to talk about the evidence behind the benefits of houseplants. And I know this sounds like kind of a random topic and one in which the research that I found was actually surprising. It actually went against what I thought was true about having plants in your home. We spend close to 90% of our time indoors, which is a lot. And it's a relatively new thing. A few thousand years ago, we certainly were not spending that much time inside. There are a lot of benefits to being outside and to gardening. 
And this is an activity where you're going to get fresh air, you're going to get sunlight. Gardening also involves some activity, and you can even make it a workout if you're really doing a lot of physical activity with it. There's two significant benefits to getting outside in natural sunlight. The first is that this helps your body produce vitamin D. And the second benefit is that exposure to sunlight at specific points in the day is going to help set your circadian clock and optimize your hormone production for hormones like estrogen. Vitamin D is essential during pregnancy, and it's sometimes referred to as a hormone because the activated forms of it actually function as hormones in your body. Vitamin D helps regulate immune function, really important for staying healthy, also cell growth and neuromuscular function. And one of the most essential things that vitamin D does is it helps with the absorption of other vital nutrients like calcium, iron, magnesium, phosphate, and zinc. And when you're pregnant, that's not going to apply just to you, but it also applies to your baby. Vitamin D is really important to your baby as their bones are developing. There's an estimated 25 to 30 grams of calcium that transfers to your baby's skeleton by the time that they're born. And the majority of that happens in the last trimester. But the absorption of that calcium is dependent on having adequate vitamin D. An estimated 90% of our vitamin D comes from the sun. The good news is that you can't overdose on vitamin D from the sun, but you can get too much sun and get a sunburn. So if you're going to be gardening outside, if you're going to be out in the sun, you want to apply sunscreen. If you have any concerns about chemicals in sunscreens, I like to use the Environmental Working Group Skin Deep website. I'll link to that in the article on the website. This is a really good source because they rate skin products based on the safety of their ingredients. And sunscreen is not the only way to protect your skin. You can also wear a hat to keep the sun off your face or wear long sleeves or pants, or try and garden in an area that's shaded or under an umbrella. There are some common skin issues that can pop up during pregnancy, like melasma, that can get worse with exposure to the sun. And pregnancy is unfortunately just a time in which your skin tends to be extra sensitive to everything, and that can include sun exposure. In addition to the benefits of vitamin D, Being outside just a few minutes at three different points in the day can help give you exposure to the blue light spectrum from the sun that's going to help set your circadian clock, and that's going to help optimize hormone production. Ideally, the best times to do this are at sunrise, at solar noon, and at sunset. If you are able to get outside at dawn or within an hour or two of the sun coming up, that's going to help signal to your body that it's time to wake up and start the day. And then getting outside just in the middle of the day around noon for a few minutes is going to help set that circadian clock. And then 20 minutes before the sun sets, then you're going to get the highest spike in blue light that happens in a 24 hour period. And that's going to signal to your brain that blue light is going to diminish to zero and you can start producing melatonin. And melatonin is the cornerstone of having optimal reproductive health. It's so important because it's going to help you get better sleep, which in turn is going to allow for more optimal estrogen and prolactin secretion. 
I did a very deep dive on blue light and how it affects your pregnancy. I'll link to that episode if you missed it. And then of course, after the sun sets, you want to reduce your exposure to blue light, which doesn't happen if you're outside, you're not going to be exposed to it. But there are a lot of sources of blue light in our homes, like screens, televisions, cell phones, iPads, laptops, and almost any light that you turn on in your house. Anytime that you're planning to be outside in warm weather, you want to plan to avoid overheating. And you can time your gardening either earlier in the day or in the evening when the temperature is going to be cooler. Try and work in areas with shade and avoid getting too much sun. You also want to make sure that you're drinking plenty of water. That's going to help your body stay cool and keep you hydrated. And you need more water if you're out in warmer weather. And if you feel like you are getting too hot, please go inside, get in the shade, take a break and cool off. Gardening can be really hard work and it could be helpful if you want to break larger projects into smaller chunks. Maybe instead of spending half of your day on your hands and knees weeding in your yard, you can break it into shorter periods over several days. And as your pregnancy progresses, you might need to make modifications to get more comfortable, or you may need to limit the amount of time that you're spending in a particular position. You should be changing positions often. If you're kneeling, you might want to use a pad just to help ease the pressure on your knees. And please be careful lifting heavy objects and ask for help from your partner or a friend, a family member, a neighbor, if you need any assistance lifting anything heavy or doing any work that's particularly difficult. Really, you should be listening to your body and paying attention to when you need to change what you're doing or when you need to take a break. A big risk of gardening when you're pregnant is possible exposure to toxoplasmosis. And this is the reason that sometimes gardening ends up on a list of things you should avoid during pregnancy. While that could be an option, I think that there are some things you can do to really minimize your risk if you do enjoy gardening and you want to stick with it. Toxoplasmosis is the disease that's caused by the Toxoplasma gondii parasite. This is really common. Their estimates are that over 40 million Americans are infected with this parasite. So it lives in soil and the primary hosts are cats because the parasite replicates in their intestines. So the infectious organisms end up being excreted in cat feces. This is why doctors advise that you don't clean a litter box when you're pregnant. So in addition to cat feces, you could be exposed to toxoplasmosis by eating raw or undercooked meat or unwashed vegetables, or if you have exposure to the soil that has the parasite. And the risk there is that a cat who has toxoplasmosis uses your garden or your yard as a litter box, and then they transfer that parasite to your soil. For a typical healthy adult, toxoplasmosis is really not a big deal, but the risks change if you were to get infected just before getting pregnant or during your pregnancy. And in pregnancy, toxoplasmosis can cause birth defects, including hearing loss, vision problems, and intellectual disabilities. And when it's passed from a mother to a baby through the placenta, it's called congenital toxoplasmosis. There is some good news, and that's if you have ever been infected with toxoplasmosis before, then you're going to be immune. And that immunity is also going to protect your baby. The only way for you to know that 
would be if you got a blood test that looked for antibodies. While nearly 25% of the adult population in the U.S. is thought to be seropositive, which means that they've been exposed to this parasite and should be immune, in the U.S., we don't routinely test for toxoplasma antibodies. In some other countries where infection is a lot higher, like France or Belgium, there are screening programs for this. So if you aren't sure how common toxoplasmosis is in the country that you live in, or whether your doctor or midwife recommends you get tested, please ask that question if it's something that you want to do. There are a lot of things you can do to limit your risk of exposure to this parasite. If you have a cat, you want to keep them indoors. That's going to prevent them from eating mice or any other prey that could have that parasite. And then shedding that virus if they are using your yard as a litter box. And if you have outdoor or stray cats in your neighborhood, it could be a little more challenging to keep them out of your yard or your garden. Some plants like lavender are thought to keep cats away, but the reviews on whether those are really effective were pretty mixed. So it may take some trial and error to find what works if you're trying to keep neighborhood cats out of your yard. You should be wearing gloves when you're gardening or handling any unwashed fruits or vegetables from your garden. And when you're tending your garden or planting anything, you want to avoid touching your face if you have dirt on your hands. And then when you're done, always wash your hands really thoroughly. And if you are lucky enough to be getting some fresh fruits or vegetables or herbs from your garden, you also want to make sure to wash them really well before eating them. Another risk when gardening that you may have some more control over than toxoplasmosis is the use and exposure to pesticides. Ideally, when you're pregnant, you want to limit your exposure to chemicals as much as possible. I mean, in a perfect world, you would have zero exposure to pesticides during your pregnancy. According to the CDC, exposure to pesticides could increase your chances of having a miscarriage, a baby with birth defects or other problems. And pesticides are particularly a concern if you live in an agricultural area or if you work with pesticides, then your exposure is going to be a lot higher than somebody who maybe just uses it once in a while in their garden or their yard. The first trimester is the most sensitive for your baby's development. So if there's any point in your pregnancy that you should be especially careful about exposure to chemicals, it's going to be the first trimester. And if you don't want to eliminate the use of pesticides in your yard or your garden, you can ask someone else to apply them. That's the first step. If you have a landscaping service, you could ask them to suspend the use of pesticides or maybe temporarily limit their use. If you are using any chemicals, please follow instructions, use protective gear like gloves, long clothing, potentially even a mask or a respirator. Pregnancy is a great time to cut some chemicals out of your life. And if you typically use pesticides in your garden, maybe look for some other options now, because that's also going to make your space safer for your little one when they get a little bit older and they can start exploring outside. There are a lot of pesticides that are labeled as organic or natural. Those could be a better option, but those labels, while they sound great, don't necessarily mean that they are 100% safe. If you have any questions about the safety of gardening or exposure to toxoplasmosis or harmful chemicals like pesticides, please bring up those questions with your doctor or midwife. If you don't have a big outdoor space or you're just not into gardening, it's often a lot easier to take care of plants indoors. 
because inside you have a lot more control over the environment. There's little, if any, exposure to pests like insects or cats. If you do have a cat, you shouldn't be at risk for toxoplasmosis when you're working with indoor potted plants, assuming that your cat isn't using those planters as a litter box. Plants can add some really nice vibes to your indoor space. They're aesthetically pleasing. One study found that ornamental plants that were placed in hospital recovery rooms actually resulted in lower pain, lower anxiety, and lower fatigue in patients that were recovering from surgery. Assuming that you don't have any allergies to the plants that you're bringing inside your house, they can really brighten up your space. You may have seen houseplants advertised as an easy and inexpensive way to improve your indoor air quality. So let's look at this from an evidence-based perspective and see if the research backs up this claim. To start, you would think that the air in your home is perfectly safe to breathe. But the problem is that the air in your house could be contaminated or is likely contaminated with particulate matter and VOCs. So VOCs stand for volatile organic compounds. Particulate matter is the particles in the air that are often hazardous. This includes things like exhaust from cars, dust, pollen, or smoke, anything that you could think of that generally contributes to air pollution. And particulate matter tends to be in bigger concentrations outside and in large metropolitan areas, but these particles can also be in your home and they end up there from activities like cleaning or cooking or heating. If you regularly dust and clean floors, that can help to reduce the number of particles that are going to be floating around your house. VOCs are different. Those come from things like cleaning products, paints and solvents, car exhaust, cigarette smoke, and these toxins can also off-gas from synthetic materials like rugs, furniture, or building materials. And VOCs are mostly found indoors because the products in our homes and offices are giving off these compounds. So to avoid VOCs in the first place, one, I think that might be impossible to avoid it entirely. You need to pay really close attention to the materials and the products and the furnishings that you are buying. And the problem is that so many home improvement materials, so much furniture, so many textiles often contain VOCs. There is a lot of documentation on some adverse health effects from building environments. This is called sick building syndrome. And this describes a situation when occupants of a building experience acute health or comfort related effects that seem to be linked directly to spending time in the building. And sick building syndrome is primarily due to a number of things, poor air quality, lack of natural sunlight, exposure to EMFs, and exposure to chemical contaminants, like those VOCs that we talked about. The big question is, can plants improve indoor air quality? And before researching for this episode, I assumed that the answer to this question was yes. Let's take a closer look at the evidence, because plants improving air quality, this is not a new concept. And some of the first research on this came from a 1989 study from NASA, NASA scientists looked at how plants could potentially improve air quality for space travel and colonization. A lot of times if you see claims that NASA scientists back up claims that plants improve indoor air quality, they're referring to this 1989 study. 
There's a couple of different ways that plants can positively affect air quality. First, they can increase oxygen. This is because the process of photosynthesis removes carbon dioxide and then returns oxygen to the air. And the second way is that they metabolize some toxic chemicals, and then they incorporate those toxicants, things like heavy metals or VOCs, into plant tissues. And this can help remove them from the environment. And when you're looking at the science of how this works, it's not just the plant itself. It's a combination of everything, the, the plant with the leaves and the roots, but also the soil and even the microorganisms that are on the plant play a role. There is a fair amount of research showing that indoor plants have a positive impact on air quality. I'll put an example to some of those in the article on the website. Of course, you know that I link to all of my sources. And a lot of these found plants to help reduce VOCs, those volatile organic compounds. The most comprehensive review that I found is really critical of the research that shows that indoor plants improve air quality. So among some of the criticisms were that the studies were measuring effects in small sealed chambers. And they said that that doesn't account for airflow changes in a home or in an office. And they state that the most prominent way to remove VOCs from indoor spaces is by outdoor to indoor air exchange. That may have sounded confusing. What that basically means, what these researchers are saying in this review, was that opening a window may be more effective at reducing VOCs in your home than a plant. I will admit that was not the outcome that I thought I was going to find before I started digging into the research for this episode. So we've talked about how plants can positively impact the aesthetic of your home, how they can create maybe a more of a calm environment. Another benefit is that plants can increase the humidity. As plants draw water from their roots into their leaves, some of that moisture evaporates into the air. And that process is called transpiration. All plants add some humidity and plants with larger leaves are going to tend to add more. Think of that in terms of a rainforest plant that can lose a lot of water through big leaves, whereas a desert plant or a succulent with really small leaves is going to want to conserve as much water as possible. So if you want to add plants to your home to maybe make the air a little less dry indoors, be aware that you could take this too far because it's possible to add so many plants that the humidity level in your home is too high, which is not going to be ideal. But as long as you're not filling every room with a ton of plants to basically mimic an indoor rainforest, you should be okay. You probably don't need to worry about overdoing it on the humidity. Hopefully the evidence in this article gives you information to decide whether you want to add some plants to your home. If you don't particularly want a plant, please don't feel like you need to go out and buy one. Plants can be positive and enjoyable. They look nice, but they also require maintenance. And if that's something that you don't want to deal with, that is absolutely okay. One of the challenges in selecting a plant, if you're buying one to improve air quality, is that different plants are more or less efficient at removing those impurities in the air. If you do a Google search, you're going to get thousands of lists online that rank houseplants for air quality. And the majority of those are looking at the rankings from that 1989 NASA study that we talked about. 
The best resource for finding the right plants is going to be to consult with a local nursery or garden center. Their staff is going to be really knowledgeable about the plants available and local climate conditions. And you can also talk to them, let them know that you want a plant that's in a room that gets a lot of sunlight or not very much sunlight. You can talk about how much maintenance you're willing to commit to. And if you want something that's low maintenance, they're going to help you find a plant that fits that. And a lot of times if you're buying a plant from a local nursery or a big garden center, they're going to have some warranties on their plants. A lot of places actually let you return them if they're not thriving. If you choose to enjoy some indoor plants when you're pregnant, after you have your baby, you might need to rethink the placement of pots. Not This isn't really a concern until your baby starts crawling, but a planter of dirt is going to be an excellent play area for them to dig their hands into, potentially make a huge mess. And if you have any potted plants that are on a shelf or a table piece of furniture, you want to make sure that it's not at risk of falling on your little one. And you will find out very quickly once you have a baby that's crawling that they pretty much get into everything. And even things that you think are out of reach, they're going to find creative ways to climb up and get to them. Typically, babies don't start crawling until at least nine months or later, so your plants are going to be safe until then. Please do not start overthinking the air quality in your house. I don't want you to go down a rabbit hole of panicking about everything in your house that could be off-gassing toxins. Pregnancy is an excellent excuse to really clean up your life in a lot of ways, but the key is going to be to stack some small things together that can eventually lead to a big change in your environment, right? Some of the things that contribute most to air quality problems in your house are going to be candles, air fresheners, and incense. One study showed a correlation between the use of incense in your home to VOCs that were detected in urine. In the big scheme of things, the fewer chemicals that you bring into your house, the better, but start with those small, easy things. Please do not drive yourself crazy trying to overhaul your entire house. And remember, one of the best and easiest things that you can do to reduce VOCs in your house is to open a window and get fresh air in. Depending on the climate where you live, I know that may not be an option during certain parts of the year or certain parts of the day. Even opening a window for a few minutes is going to have a big impact on the air exchange in your house. Think about this also happens every time you open and close your front door, which you were already doing multiple times a day. And hopefully you're able to open some windows and enjoy some fresh air. To recap today's episode, we talked about gardening safety and got into a lot of details on the air quality in your house and dug into the evidence on whether plants can positively impact air quality by either removing toxins like VOCs from the air or adding oxygen. I want to thank you for tuning into the Pregnancy Podcast today. I hope that you find this episode helpful. As always, you can contact me at Vanessa at PregnancyPodcast.com. You can read the full article and all the resources that accompany this episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash garden. Thank you again to Zoller for their support of this episode. Right now, you can save 20% off the Prenatal Plus DHA 
and get a one month supply for free if you want to leave a review on Amazon. For all of those details and the promo code for that 20% off, go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash vitamin. And I want to thank Blue Blocks for their support. One of the easiest things that you can do to improve your sleep is to wear blue light blocking glasses after the sunset. I love these glasses and you can save 15% with the promo code PREGNANCY. To check them out, you want to go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash glasses. <laughs> 